Computer, initialize Holosuite. Everybody and welcome to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name is Matt, and my good friend Andrew and I will be performing the Vulcan Kolinar ritual. And uh, I'm hoping we won't be interrupted by any unruly Andorians. But uh, if you hear any commotion, you'll know what's going on. Andrew, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Although I am very suspicious that you are just saying that you want to do this culinary ritual just so that you could hide, uh, you know, secret cameras and microphones in my house. So, uh, yeah, I might need to kind of, you know, start ripping up the carpet and, uh, you know, checking every room thoroughly before the podcast is all done and dusted. I guess you're on to me, so I better <laughs> uh, better just give it up. Rather than have you ransack your entire house, that wouldn't be very good. So let's, uh, as we often do, let's go back to the end of the last podcast where I told you everything I could think of about the Andorian incident. Give me a score out of uh, five pairs of Andorian antennae for uh, what I could remember. Yeah, well, actually, uh, before you had, or before I had pulled out an episode, one of the things that you were kind of hoping for, and one of the things that you asked for, was a classic Star Trek episode. We get the Andorian incident, which, I mean, I think it's safe to say that that is kind of a classic Enterprise episode, at least, um, and you did really well with it. Um, you knew that it was a Vulcan monastery. I think you actually got the name correct. It was Pajem, uh, and that uh Ran made his first appearance with a gang of Andorians uh, that uh, basically feel that they are using the monastery as a cover or a spy station. Uh, they're very hostile. I think you even dropped Jeffrey Coombs's name, which was a nice little added bonus. You said that Archer was going to get beat up maybe multiple times, which definitely happened, and that eventually uh, they use a set of underground catacombs to kind of make their escape kind of thing. But then the big reveal, of course, uh, and spoiler alert, is that it actually was a spy station and the Andorians were right all along. So um, that's a five out of five uh, Andorian antennae. So uh, very well done, Matt. Um, that is a perfect score for you on this one. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I think that you pretty much recapped it perfectly. I feel like it's been a while since either of us have had five out of five, so uh, glad to break that streak. Yeah, it has been a long, long while. I believe that the last one that, uh, I don't I think the last one might have been the quickening. I think I had five out of five on the quickening, but yeah, it's been a long time since we have uh, had a five out of five score. Uh, now, since this, I got five out of five on this, let's jump right in, so... Uh, yeah, we'll be talking about the Andorian incident on this podcast. It's from Enterprise Season 1, Episode 7, and it originally aired on your favorite day of the year, Andrew, October 31st, 2001. Yes, Halloween is my favorite holiday of the season, so I would have probably not been uh, curled up to UPN watching this back when it first aired. Uh, so guest stars Jeffrey Coombs as Shran, Bruce French as the Vulcan Elder, Stephen Dennis as Tholos, Jeff Ricketts as Keval, and Richard Tanner as the Vulcan Initiate. 
It was written by Fred Decker, and it was based on a story by Rick Berman, Brandon Braga, and Fred Decker, and directed by Roxanne Dawson. Oh, nice. A little bit of interesting uh, tidbit there. And just in case you didn't get a chance to uh, tune in to your streaming service of choice or cable television and have no idea what we're talking about, I'll give you a quick synopsis. Some Vulcan monks are enjoying quiet meditation when four Endorians force their way into the monastery. Archer and Trip decide to take a trip to the very same Vulcan monastery to pay them a visit. T'Pol grudgingly agrees to take them there, but when they arrive, it is apparent that something is amiss. Trip discovers the Andorians, but before he and Archer can escape, they are captured. The monks explain that the Andorians believe the monastery is a cover for a surveillance station being used to spy on the Andorians. On Enterprise, Reed is concerned about an alien vessel that they have detected and that they have not heard from the captain in a while, but Hoshi thinks they're just having a good time. While Archer is interrogated, Trip Lee is led to a transmitter in the catacombs of the monastery and is able to raise Enterprise. Reed and some security officers beam down and head into the catacombs. They, charge, they place charges in the main room and set them off, starting a firefight. The Andorians run into the catacombs down to the Forbidden Reliquary, where Archer unwittingly uncovers a secret doorway leading to a... Dun-dun-dun! Vulcan surveillance station! The Andorians are allowed to leave along with detailed scans of the stations, having the, with their suspicions about the Vulcans having been proven right. All right, now, there is a ton of background information on this episode that's pretty easy to find on the internet, so um, we're just going to, I just picked out a few little interesting things that I thought would be interesting to talk about, but there's a lot more that you can find on the internet if you're a big Andorian Incident fan, like I'm sure you and I both are. Uh, so the first thing that I found that I found very interesting was that this episode was originally to feature the Gorn as the bad guy instead of the Andorians, uh, but they they changed their mind because the Gorn don't really talk, and so that would have made this episode much more difficult to do, I think. Yeah, I, I can safely say that, I, I mean, Arena is a great episode. I, I love that episode, and it's an all-time classic. But this fascination with the Gorn and wanting to kind of go back to it and hint at it and I guess relive it to to a certain extent. I know like Star Trek Discovery, they did you know Lorca had a Gorn head in one of his uh, in his office and and stuff like that in season one. And you know I think that later on Enterprise does something with the Gorn. And I mean uh, sometimes it's kind of like isn't it just maybe best left in that classic original series episode. I, I can't see it working here at all. Um, and I don't know that it's necessarily something that I need to go back and revisit in, in other series, just because I feel like it, it was such a classic and such a one-off that, you know, to try to bring them back, uh, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it would fit. What about you? Would you think that that would work or not really? Well, I think the decision to make the change of the Andorians because the Gorn don't really talk is probably a wise choice. Um, and you can't, like, you can't get around it because they don't have the universal translator to a point now where they can just be, like, the Gorn can just sort of, like, do their grunty, hissing language and they'd be able to understand. And that would make this episode very difficult to do. Um, it would be interesting to see archer get whooped by a gorn <laughs> because they're supposed to be like super strong and uh whatnot but yeah i think the decision to go with the andorians was a lot more well, it turned out quite good because 
the Andorians are supposed to be this very suspicious and very antagonistic race. Uh, and I mean, we don't necessarily know that specifically about the Gorn. We just know that they're very territorial. So I, I think the choice to switch to the Andorians was, was a, a very smart one. Uh, I don't think the Gorn would have gone over quite as well. I would actually go a step further, Matt, and I would also just say that this kind of lays some of the groundwork for eventually the, you know, kind of early roots of the Federation as well, because we're seeing the Andorians, the Vulcans and humans all interacting, um, whereas the Gorn, they wouldn't even really pop up against until the original series. Right. And I don't know that they even had that much information. And so that maybe as well wouldn't necessarily blend as nice. So I'm, I'm really happy they went with the Andorians here. Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to get too much into the sort of further progression of this whole storyline, but I mean, you're right. It does sort of lead into the sort of founding, sort of the beginnings of the founding of the Federation and the Andorians were certainly a part of that. So, I mean, this is kind of where it begins almost. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it paid off for them even further along. Now, this this episode is... Uh, Directed by Roxanne Dawson, who we we know probably more uh, commonly as Belana Torres. And it was the first episode of Enterprise she directed. I believe I read she actually did 10 altogether. And um, this was the one that she said was her favorite uh, of the series. Yeah, she also directed a couple of uh, Voyager episodes as well, I believe. But um, I think that she's actually a pretty prolific director now. Awesome. I mean, I didn't know that. I didn't pick up on it when I was watching the episode, but yeah, I love to have a little Bolana directing Star Trek. I kind of feel like the Star Trek actors, they get Trek kind of at that deeper level. And so when they do direct, it always tends to be uh, pretty good, I think. Yeah, her and Robert Duncan McNeil really turned into a couple of pretty prolific directors. Um, I saw an episode of something recently that Roxanne Dawson directed that was very uh, I think it was there's a show called uh, The Morning Show. Okay, yeah, with Steve Carell. Yeah, it's about like uh you know all the shenanigans that go on in uh, the morning and I I'm like 99% sure she directed an episode of that show. Okay. Which is and like you know she's she's all over the place and so is Robert Duncan McNeil like they both became like I don't think they did either of them did much acting after Voyager. They really dug into directing, which is uh it's pretty cool. Um, just goes to show you that uh, just because you're on Star Trek doesn't mean you're necessarily a, an actor for life, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Like Roxanne Dawson, I'm just looking at it really quickly. She has directed The Morning Show, like you mentioned, Penny Dreadful, This Is Us, The Americans, House of Cards. That was a really popular show a few years back. Uh, Bates Motel, you know, Hell on Wheels. Remember that show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that uh, was the Marvel um marvel characters as well so i mean like that's pretty impressive the oc melrose place like these are all shows that i have seen or at least i'm aware of so um that's awesome and of course her very first uh tv directing uh appearance star trek voyager which is really cool yes hell on wheels is another one that i that now that you mention it i do remember she did direct an episode of that show that's and that's a very those are like some very different like you know hell on wheels is a western the morning show is sort of like a you know, more of a drama and, you know, Star Trek Voyager and Enterprise are obviously science fiction shows. So, uh, she's, uh, she's not shy about touching into other, other types and other genres of, uh, television with her directing. Yeah. And so this looks like this was the fourth 
thing that the fourth TV thing that she directed, uh, and I think she did a great job. I uh, I actually thought that the direction here, and we'll talk about it as we go through the episode. There's a couple of things directional wise that are really well done. Well, let's not to put it off any longer. Uh, let's talk about the uh, the very short but very effective uh, teaser here. I I actually looked at the the timer when this teaser wrapped up and it was under a minute, like less than 30, 60 seconds. And uh, I thought it was very good and very effective. Yeah, and I definitely feel like the last handful of episodes that we've looked at here on RTR, we've kind of said that the teaser fell short. And I even remember saying uh, last week with Too Short a Season that, you know, it's kind of teaser. Well, eh, if I was watching this, maybe I'd I'd flip it over to the hockey game or the baseball game or whatever. <laughs> this is how you do it. Like this is you can't wait for that commercial break to come back and, and see what's going on here because they don't really tell you much. It's all very kind of mysterious in a way, but it's kind of very like hard hitting, impactful, hit the music. And I mean, anybody who is, I mean, even a halfway Star Trek fan probably recognized Jeffrey Coombs as well, just because, uh, you know, Shram is kind of the very first and Dorian that breaks through. So, I mean, there would be that little bit of excitement as well. Uh, so, yeah, for me, like, this is how you do it. And I don't think you could do it like this every time. But, I mean, for this particular episode, this is, like, hit the ground running. Was it so good that you would even consider skipping the intro on uh, your streaming service? <laughs> no, I definitely did not. I am one oh. of those unapologetic uh, Faith of the Heart fans. Uh, no, I definitely watched the. Uh, I definitely watched the the credits. I really like how they established this really serene, quiet, peaceful monastery, and then all of a sudden they like they bust in the door like in the noisiest, most ruckus causing way possible, which is like total opposite of what we're we're seeing. We see these monks; they're meditating. It's quiet. There's candles and all this perfect serene environment and then these guys just bust in the door and and yeah it's it was a very very effective you know under a minute teaser it kind of reminds me of uh, ashes to ashes do you remember that one where you had that alien who was like in this small ship that was being attacked and she fights them off and then and she's speaking in this alien language and as soon as she gets away she in english speak says you know set a course for Voyager right. and then that's it. That's right. And it's, get. it's, and it's a similar kind of thing because you sort of get an idea that like, okay, this person's running away from someone else and then she's going to go to Voyager. But why, why is she going to Voyager and who is this person? Right. It's sort of the same thing that they give you enough to, that your, your brain is sort of thinking and processing, but there's also enough to mysteries around it to be like, Ooh, what's going to happen next? Right. Like they could have easily spoiled this by kind of re-editing it so that you start on Enterprise, you get the whole talking between Archer and Trip, and then they say, oh, what's on this planet? Oh, it's a monastery. Then cut to the monastery, kick open the door, but you kind of ruin the intrigue and the mystery. Um, and to me, that kind of falls on the director, right? So obviously, you know, Roxanne Dawson wanted to hit this one, like, you know, right in the solar plexus, right? Like, let's get this... Uh, going and let's get it going and that's credit to her I think because I mean that's the director's call typically maybe the editor but usually it's the director who would make that decision to make that little mystery at the beginning and then pay it off after the credits which is just perfectly done awesome awesome work there yeah it's a one it's a great teaser I, th I thought that uh, 
I don't really remember a whole lot about watching this during the original run, but I'm sure that that would have certainly piqued my interest uh, back in 2001. Yeah, it's actually something that I kind of feel like we, I, I know that everything's streaming nowadays and you don't need to do it because, you know, if you're deciding to watch Star Trek Picard or Star Trek Discovery, you're making the conscious effort to sit down and watch it. It's not necessarily like a weekly TV show where commercials would have had a major effect and stuff, but I kind of wish they would do this more with the newer Trek stuff to kind of give us some teasers that are like short, quick to the point and get us kind of salivating you know, a little appetizer, if you will, before the main course of the show comes out. Because I, I feel like sometimes, like, sometimes these teasers in the newer ones are, like, 15 minutes long. And it's like, wait, we haven't played the theme music yet? Like, that's that to me is not really a teaser. To me, it, it has to be kind of something that, that, you know, whets your appetite. Yeah, some of them don't even have teasers. They just jump right into Act 1, right? Because to me, if it's, if it's more than five, six minutes... It's not really well. It's not really a teaser. That's more like Act One. Yeah, and I mean, as a big James Bond fan, I love a teaser, right? Because James Bond is one of those movies franchises where you get a little piece of the action. You might not know what's going on or what's happening, but you get a little taste of it. You know, right before you you kind of jump into the main story, and so um, yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, of these kinds of teasers for sure. Let's jump into sort of the main part of it here. Now we get this scene right off the top where uh, Archer and Trip they're like kind of griping about the Vulcan star charts and how it's not really as fun because we already have a star chart, but then they're like, oh, but we haven't actually gone to these places, um, so that's still cool. We can still go to these places even though we know where they are. And so they decide to go to a Vulcan monastery, which I thought was kind of an interesting choice after they're like griping about the Vulcan star charts. And then they decide, oh, let's go to this Vulcan monastery. Did that seem like kind of a puzzling destination for you? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I mean, I think that Trip brings up a good point when he says, you know, we're just going to all the same spots that... Uh, other people have already gone to and that's not really what explorers do explorers more look for new things um, but then I feel like there was something that was kind of hidden in there that 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 I maybe missed which was it seemed like the star charts were maybe incomplete or that uh, maybe the ones that the Vulcans had given them were slightly incomplete and that was partially the reason why they wanted to go to the Vulcan monastery because they had almost kind of like figured out that it was there or something like there was a little bit of intrigue there that maybe was more than just going for the sake of going i think there was something about how they wanted to kind of go and drop in on them because they were given kind of false information and it was going to be like well let's go check what, out what they're doing you know see see what this is all about um and i don't maybe that was maybe i'm reading too much into it because i know how the episode ends but to me it seemed like there was something a little bit more to it is that how you took it or not at all well, I found it kind of puzzling that they would be like bad mouthing the Vulcans and then they would decide to go visit a monastery. That was kind of that was the only thing that kind of went through my head at that point. It just seemed a little bit odd that, you know, and they don't like the Vulcans much to begin with. Yeah, this is definitely like Star Trek when races well, speciesism, I guess it would be or planetism still t like very much exists. And so the humans do not like the Vulcans. The Vulcans do not like the humans. The Andorians don't like the Vulcans. It's just like, the, you know, th there's definitely a lot of tension here, um, but I'm on board with it. I think that this is this is like classic Star Trek, right? A little bit on the ship 
and now we're going to go down and check out this place for whatever reason. It doesn't almost it, doesn't, it almost doesn't matter what the reason is. Um, but I actually prefer this over getting like a, a distress call or something. I actually think I like it a little bit better that they just kind of show up because it, it makes the whole first interaction so much better. I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I think showing up unannounced was a great idea for like whoever I'm sure whoever wrote this came up with that. It was pretty, I mean, it made everything that much more interesting because you all of a sudden have these Andorians that are, aren't expecting visitors and people just automatically show up. And so they're kind of off guard and they have to kind of improvise a little bit. So that was definitely a wise uh, choice. I always felt like Enterprise did a very good job of depicting and showing and dealing with the fact that like these are aliens like a Vulcan person is an alien person. Phlox is an alien person. And we even get that shot in the cantina with the celery, which I guess like we're supposed to believe that they've never eaten celery before or that they have to eat human food because they're on a human ship, I guess, is what we're trying to to get from that. And so we have this conversation between Phlox and T'Pol, and it's like, wow, this is really good stuff. I know it's just a throwaway scene. Um, but obviously, I can see in your notes that you obviously picked up on it as well. Um, and just the whole kind of talking about diversity uh, is such a great little way to foreshadow what the episode's going to be about um, and, and about alien species or just species in general interacting with each other. I thought that was so good. Oh, yeah, it was a great scene. Like, I think it was more about helping to convince DePaul to actually let them go to the monastery because she was very against it and she was very like trying to dissuade them quite a lot to not go and i think flocks kind of talking a little bit of sense into her maybe made her a little bit more agreeable to it although she's still kind of grudgingly uh you know did made all the arrangements uh and and you know went through the laundry list of rules that they have to follow um but yeah just uh like and Phlox is so good at doing at those things um, because he's such a easygoing and, and has a, such a light, happy-go-lucky kind of attitude. So for him to sort of be the one to talk sense into her, I thought it was pretty effective because he's he's just sort of a go-with-the-flow kind of guy. It's like, oh, starship full of humans? Okay, fine. That sounds like fun. You know, he doesn't even think twice about it. And Phlox did live on Earth for a while too, right? I think that's right, yeah. Because in the first episode, he was like working on Earth one one of my favorite scenes in that whole episode where Archer busts in as he's like doing an autopsy or whatever. And he's like, excuse me, is this man dead? <laughs> I love that. I think it was so good. John Billingsley plays Flocks. Um, he does such a great job with just that little bit that he gets. He actually reminds me a lot of like Robert Picardo and the doctor on Voyager in the sense that, you know, he only really needs a scene or two. And he gets like his money's worth for the week or for uh, the episode, I think, anyway. Um, and yeah, this is just a great little way to get him into the episode. And also, I mean, I think that DePaul kind of goes on a little arch here uh, in terms of like her whole episode, in terms of, you know, getting down there and getting them in and then realizing all the stuff's happening and then. I mean, I don't want to go to the end yet, but this is the beginning of a little arc that we're going to see with DePaul, which we're going to bring back, I guess, with the final reveal. Now, I sort of hinted at the like the long list of rules to follow. <laughs> like she's as they're walking to the shuttle bay, it's like, do not speak unless you are spoken to. And 
at the end they'll give you this stone and blah blah blah. like it was just a whole long thing and at the end of that i was like does this really sound like a lot of like a fun thing to do (laughs) going to this place and having to remember all these things but um she gets them prepared they go down to the plant to the monastery and and like it's pretty apparent like early on that something is up like even to them like we know as an audience like okay there's something is up because these andorians busted in right off the bat but even like to Paul's like picking up on things and Archer's kind of like this, the guy seems like, you know, unsettled or, and, and, and <laughs> to Paul mentions that he seems agitated and, and Trip is like, and Trip is like, really? You, he seems agitated to you. But yeah, I, I think it was like, did, did, was that kind of a giveaway right away that something was up? I like the way that they did it. Cause it's kind of like one of those things we've talked about in the past where, you're always trying to come up with ways to trick the audience and to have a big reveal and a shocking conclusion and stuff. But you know what? Sometimes it works the other way too, where, you know, we know the Andorians are hidden up there and we're kind of watching the characters like the fly in the ointment. And then we see them piece it together. There's like the statue that's like a little crooked and one of the pots is broken and, and you know the the, the Vulcan the doors are bashed in. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think the Vulcan guy is trying to cover for them, right? He's saying like, "Oh, you know, we let out our anger sometimes during the procedure and it happens <laughs> and stuff." But I also think that there's 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 more to it, and I don't know that I can eloquently put it. But Trip and Archer are so human, if that makes sense. Like when they start kind of gabbing and talking and they're obviously not following the protocols and then they go and they see the guy hiding behind and they do the whole thing where they're going to kind of set it all up and, and smash through and have the big fist fight and stuff. It's just the Vulcans kind of would do things a certain way. Humans would do things a certain way. And we get that throughout this whole episode is like Archer and Trip just can't help themselves they've always got a swarmy <laughs> line they're always gonna you know say the wrong thing and end up getting punched in the stomach and it's just like it all starts here with this kind of first introduction and it's just so good as soon as they sort of sense that something's wrong archer just like goes completely off the script that to paul gave him and he's like <laughs> he's make he's almost making small talk he's like so how are things here in uh the monastery and uh you know I hear the weather here is uh, really, really great and all this. And then, and then, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, the reflection in the, I think it was like a piece of pottery or a, or a metal. Like a little bowl. Yeah. Like it was like a metal bowl kind of thing. And there was the reflection and, and, you know, and they, you know, trip sort of catches Archer's attention and subliminally communicates to him. Like, yeah, there's a dude hiding behind here. Like this, like little wicker wall that they had, in the in the main room and yeah like it's such a human thing to do like you think vulcans would would be able to figure all that out on their own just through by using logic well yeah and i think that it's it's just the way that they interact right like as soon as something seems even slightly awry like you said the script is gone we're just gonna bash through we don't know who this guy is what the scenario is what the situation is but like he's 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 crouched down so he's got to be bad and we're going to smash through this thing and fight him and everything. And then I think I would even go a step further where, you know, all the other Andorians run in and, and you know, the, the gig is up. Trip's like, don't get your antennas in a twist. It's just like, of course, he's got to have like that, you know, the line while they're they're dragging them away, um, which I just, yeah, I don't know. There's 
there's just something here that I don't know we get a lot of. It's because you've got the Andorians. They're super aggressive. They're very suspicious. I do love the fact that they're calling humans the pink skins, which I think this must be the first episode where we get. Oh, absolutely it is, yeah. It is, yeah. I just think that that's great, number one. Um, I love all this kind of tension. And also, like, the Vulcans have such a look down your nose at the humans but it's almost like they're oblivious. Like Archer and Trip, this entire time, they don't seem to care at all that the the Vulcans have a certain thing. They're just doing whatever they think they're gonna do, and it's just like they're so brash. That's the word. Uh, Trip and Archer are so brash and so in your face, and it just makes for such a great mix of people. Like again, going back, I don't think the Gorn would work here because I think that the interplay between the three different species and how different they all are is what makes them so great and what makes the episode so great. Yeah, totally. Like, you, can you imagine, like, all the all the banter would be gone, right? Because the Gorn don't speak, uh, at least not in a way that humans in this time period would be able to interpret. So, yeah, all that, like, interplay and all that banter and all that discussion would be gone, and that would destroy this episode, really. It'd be pretty, it would be much different. I actually had a question for you because I, I mean, I watched the original series, but I'm not that obsessed with it or anything. How often do the Andorians show up in the original series? Um, and then as kind of like a part B question is that is Enterprise the best Andorians that we got across any of the series? The first part, very small, like like two, three, maybe four times. It's not a large number. And these are, yeah, Enterprise Andorians are by far the best. They're sort of like untamed and raw and very, yeah, like it, it, it's, these are the best ones because they're the most aggressive and most in your face of, of the ones that I can think of. And I feel like, do they even show up in like Next Generation? One time, but it was in the holodeck and it wasn't even yes. like, remember when uh, Data was choosing like a gender and body for his daughter right one of them was a, a female andorian so it was just like a static holographic image of an andorian uh like a little like a little girl andorian and we have obviously got the andorians in discovery but i didn't really like them that much i feel like this is the most well-rounded well thought out and the the kind of best representation of the andorians that we ever got yep i i would not dispute that even a little bit now we get this really cool, and you, we we were talking about the direction, and I think this is part part of the work of the director. But we get this really funny sort of cut where they're on the bridge, and and they're kind of like, oh, where the captain hasn't been, uh, we haven't heard from the captain in a while. Like, I hope everything's okay. And Hoshi says something about like he's probably like really deep in meditation, and then it immediately cuts to him just getting pummeled and interrogated by the Andorians, and I thought that was awesome. Just so, it, it was just such a, it, like, it doesn't get much more contrasting when you go from he's meditating to he's being beaten up. And not only that, but that cut where it's literally meditating cut and then you just see the fist coming right towards the camera. That was a great bit of direction. That was such a funny scene and such a great little kind of addition to to the episode i know that it's just one like second thing but it, it definitely made me laugh and i feel like it was just such a great thing to do oh yeah it, it was it wasn't a, a long thing but it was one that i definitely was like whoa that is funny and it's so well done because like you said 
it goes from like he's must be deep in meditation to like instantly like fist to the camera right and he's just, and he's getting pummeled like he's just like archer got beat up so many times in the first season i don't know how he survived uh, it was like every week it was a different alien like beating the snot out of him. And, and these yeah. Andorians were like just brutal with him throughout the episode. Yeah, he gets beat multiple times. Yeah. One of them was kind of on purpose because he was trying, he wanted to throw that little statue thing in the, but yeah, he, he gets whooped like numerous, like several times in this episode. Now, I mean, it does kind of bring up that age old question, right? Where like, if you torture somebody enough, Will they just start to say that they that they did it, even though they didn't? Right, like um, that's the classic, uh, you know, chain of command episode. There are four lights, right? Like that whole thing um, is is essentially this, but this is kind of played more for a little bit lighter, right? Like I think Archer's getting beat up, but we're never really that worried about him uh, and his well being. No, exactly. Yeah, and this sort of leads to my next sort of point, which is, uh, and we already kind of hit on this, like the the great the the level of suspiciousness and aggressiveness with the andorians like it was they, they from the beginning even when they busted in that door you could tell like holy crap these guys mean business and we see it throughout the episode and this is another example where archers like they're like what do you what you you must be in cahoots with the vulcans like where is the spy station and then he's like i don't know what you're talking about and they just like beat the sense out of him and uh like they were super determined to find that spy station like they were 110 percent convinced that it was there and they were going to stop at nothing to find it and i thought that was really well that came through really well in this episode with the um i mean particularly with jeffrey coombs acting and and i mean the other indorians were pretty good too they were certainly not taking any crap yeah, well, I think that this that's the reason why this is such a great story, because there's kind of a multiple layers to it here. Um, and because this is kind of like humans first interactions with Andorians, or at least we're kind of led to believe they haven't really dealt with them a lot. Um, Paul mentions that they're super suspicious and then also uh, that they've already done this multiple times, but they've always kind of left. But the big difference here is now that these humans are here and they've got the Vulcan science officer, it's just made the suspicion levels go to like a thousand percent. And that has just amplified everything, um, which now has created tension between the Vulcan, uh, whatever, meditators and the humans. Because now they're like, well, why did you come here? Because normally they would just come, knock over a couple of plates and leave. But because you guys just randomly showed up for no reason, like you mentioned at the beginning, now you've just made this whole situation way worse. Um, and because they know that they've already set a stat, they do, they do have this secret thing in the basement they're now thinking like, oh, well, crap, like this is really going to turn bad because we've actually do we actually do have this thing set up and uh, now we're lying to two different species. So like, I, I don't know, for me, this is just man, it's just firing on all cylinders. I know the lines are a little bit cheesy, uh, you know, Archer saying I'm all ears. No offense. Like it's so <laughs> lame, but like in the best kind of way. Yeah, like everything is working in this episode for me. Like at this point in the episode where, you know, Trip is starting to kind of like go into the catacombs and stuff, but we just kind of have all the information. It's working on so many levels. And I'm like, this is a great story. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's it's everything, right? The acting is really good. The direction is good. I, you said the line, some of the lines are cheesy, but you know what? It's kind of nice to have a bit of humor in a tense really tense episode like this just even if it's just a couple like one-liners here and there 
It's very Star Trek, yeah. But yeah, you're right. Everything at this point is really coming together and then yeah this is this is at this point you're like oh boy like what's gonna happen next it's it it really draws you in um because everything is really just well done and we always talk about some of those some some star trek episodes you know you kind of get to to the halfway point you're checking your watch or you're checking the time on on here this first half of this episode flew by like this was blink and half the episode's over. So um, when that happens, it is a good sign. Before we really get into the sort of the second half of this and the really good conclusion, there's one, there were two small things that were kind of odd and kind of weird. So there's the the scene when Archer is like offering to share his blanket with T'Pol. I thought that was a little bit odd, that whole thing. It was kind of awkward. And then there's that one part near the end where Shran's henchman like hits on her like he says oh I I would love to have you as a prisoner yeah and I was like oh that is like that's kind of not something that that didn't sit right and I don't know if I should just sort of like write that off as a Bermanism or what the hell was going on there uh well the first thing is something that I feel that they maybe just dropped after the first little bit of Enterprise which is that Two Vulcans, humans have this disgusting smell, and T'Pol has to take like this medicine to basically block <laughs> the olfactory, uh, you know, parts of her nose. It's one of those things where, you know, it's kind of funny as like a one-off, but the fact that you'd have to keep coming back to this to me just seems like it, it, that's maybe the reason why they dropped it. Um, but that's kind of why. Like that whole blanket scene, I guess that was what it was supposed to be, right? Is to Paul kind of getting over the stink of humans. And there's a couple other lines as well. Um, but yeah, the other one, the other Andorian guy, I don't know if maybe they were thinking they were going to bring this guy back and he was going to be like the big evil or he was going to be, you know, he was going to be worse than, than Shran or something. But that is definitely a weird thing. And I almost was wondering too if... If you remember Enterprise as as much as I do, they definitely tried to up the like sexy factor. They'd always have to be like having showers or decontamination in their underwear and stuff. And I almost wonder if that was an effort to kind of make it like, ooh, you know, to Paul, she's so sexy. Nobody can, you know, nobody can uh, resist her, her temptations or something like there's something. Resistance is futile. Yes, exactly. And <laughs> I don't know that it, it definitely doesn't work. And I mean, it's only one line, but I, I, it's hard to know what they were going for there. Yeah, it, it's it was kind of unsettling and very non-Star Trekian. And I think you're right that for whatever reason with Enterprise, they were really trying to, I don't know whether they were like trying to appeal to like the, you know, 15 to 20 year old male demographic or what was going on. But yeah, it was, that's sort of one example of, of many uh, through, I think really throughout the whole run of Enterprise where... I don't know. It was kind of unsettling to hear that, uh, to hear that line. Yeah. It's kind of like the one little black mark in an otherwise greatly, perfectly written episode. Yeah. And I mean, that's why I want to get it out of the way so we can move on to the good stuff. So, I mean, they, they do eventually kind of reach the, are able to contact the ship and tell them that, yeah, there's some shenanigans going on here. And Reed beams down with like an assault team and they were very reluctant to use the transporter. <laughs> that, that's another kind of funny <laughs> gimmick that they 
gave up on yeah yeah that's true yeah i think through the first season everyone was kind of like oh I, I hope it like doesn't turn me into turnips or something but yeah they you're right they did kind of drop it eventually and they were a little bit more a little more liberal with their use of the transporter and so they go down and they like hide in the catacombs and they're gonna set off a couple of bombs uh near where shran and his henchmen are kind of hanging out and all sorts of chaos ensues they like blow up this uh there's like that weird sort of face thing on the window or not on the window on the wall in the main room and they set the bomb off and it sort of sends the andorians in a heap and there's like this big firefight and they end up chasing them down into the catacombs which they're not supposed to be in because only vulcans are supposed to be in there when the sort of the action started i mean how did you continue enjoying the 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 episode at that point uh well a couple things the one thing whenever they go back to the enterprise i just have that sinking feeling of they they really wasted hoshi and uh reed and mayweather they hardly do anything in this episode other than just kind of sit or sit around on the ship they each kind of get a line uh reed obviously he's the one who beams down but to me it's I don't know that this plan makes a lot of sense, right? Like they beam them into the same room as Archer and everybody else. And then I guess they set up the bombs because they know that the Andorians are going to be standing in front of that face. Yeah, it's okay. I I don't know that you couldn't just beam them right to the front door and just start shooting because it basically ends up being the same thing anyway. But okay, I'm down with it. I I do like that. We get that scene where Shran runs in and he's like, there was a signature in here. And he's he's like so suspicious of uh, of them and, uh, you know, what they're up to. Uh, also, it, it's kind of hard to tell whether they're they're set to stun or kill because people are getting shot and they just walk away and stuff. Uh, but I mean, none of it really matters. This is the classic whatever the producer sitting over on the sidelines being like, oh, uh, yeah, we haven't like shot the phasers in a while. Like, let's, uh, you know let's uh, make sure that we at least have some fight uh and so like you said they they <laughs> inevitably go down into the restricted area which i thought they did a really good job of foreshadowing earlier when trip went down with just the one guy and he's like oh well, what's down that hallway and they're like oh those are like the ancient ruins like nobody goes down there like there hasn't been anybody down there in years like it just kind of not something that you think about directly, but just the fact that they did it made it seem like, oh, you know what? That could come back later. And then, of course, it does. And if it's like behind a tapestry or something. Archer like accidentally like pulls it down and, and the big X-Men door is behind it. I don't know that I needed the firefight, but I definitely wasn't against it. Um, remember there was that episode uh, that we watched in the very first season called North Star? Yep. And the last 25 minutes was like a Western style shootout that was basically like no (laughs) stakes, no reason. They were just doing it for the sake of it. That this was not that this was kind of, you know, they needed a reason to go down into those catacombs and they were like, well, we'll just have like a fight. And then, you know, by accident, the, the blanket will get knocked down and we'll be revealing the big the big the big surprise um so yeah i wasn't really i wasn't really against it did you think that this was exciting and invigorating or well the first thing i was going to say like so i noticed that the andorian weapons made a very different sound than the phasers i thought that was pretty cool yeah nice little touch and i thought the catacombs set was actually pretty pretty good like it looked like 
some old ca- like cavern that had not been that had not seen human or Vulcan uh, life in a long time. Like there was all those, like there's one scene where Trip like actually like has to like move this cobweb out of the way and he's all like grossed out and he's like flicking his hand to get it off his hand. I thought those were pretty good sets. Uh, I mean, nobody does caves like Star Trek. This is how many, uh, <laughs> how many series. So uh, they definitely are, uh, they know how to do it. That's for sure. I thought the action was decent. Um, I mean, there's there's like the classic line where like the one guy gets shot like in the shoulder, and he's like, "Oh, like just leave me behind. I'll I'll hold the <laughs> fort here." And and you know, and they end up like you know chasing each other into the catacombs. I thought it was decent. Like I didn't think it was bad the way that 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 sort of went down. Did you? I, I have to admit that when I was when I watched this the first time, and it wasn't really that long ago, maybe like a year or two ago. I definitely didn't see this coming, if that makes sense. Like, I got tricked. And maybe it's because I have a certain kind of opinion and a certain thought about the way that Vulcans are or the way that they've always been shown. But I have to admit, when the blanket fell down, when I watched this originally, I was like, oh, actually, they are doing it. And it was it was legitimately shocking to me. If you put yourself kind of in the shoes of a person watching this for the first time, do you think that they did a good job of making it seem like it was just going to be a firefight down there? Or do you think it was like maybe a little bit too obvious that this was going to be the reveal? Well, I think the reason why it's so shocking is because the Vulcans are like the perfect species or rate or aliens to have doing this stuff that you would never expect right right and that's why it's so shocking it's like vulcans would never do that like you just don't think so because of the way that they are and um so i think and i was i don't really have a lot of distinct memories of watching this the first time but i think i was probably as shocked as you were when i watched it the first time and like I, I feel like they foreshadowed that something was going to happen, but I don't think it was so blatantly obvious or anything like that that, it, that yeah that the Vulcans were actually spying on them. I thought something would happen, but I didn't think it was going to be as as drastic as it was. Yeah, and I mean, twenty years later, fifteen years later, it's it's actually kind of surprising that the producers and the writers were bold enough to take Vulcans, the most beloved characters uh, in Star Trek history, and kind of turn them into the villains in a way. They're definitely not liked, and they are very abrasive, and uh, they're they're not as white meat baby-faced as we have always thought they were. Uh, And, I mean, I think that that was really bold, and... I'm sure people hated it at the time and complained. And probably if I was a, as big a Star Trek fan, I probably would be right on board with it. But now watching it back here, I'm like, man, that was such a great decision. And I actually really support it. Yeah, I mean, I I don't seem to recall having any bitter feelings about how they portrayed the Vulcans. Because it kind of made sense. I mean, we're talking about like humans who had only been in space for like 100 years and Vulcans had been out there for so much longer and it it made sense that they would kind of look down on them even though they were supposed to be these like good logical people that wouldn't be uh that, that were good um but yeah like you're right it is a pretty bold decision to kind of take an alien species that's been in the franchise for so long and kind of turn it upside down the way that they did but i thought that the way that they portrayed them in this series was it kind of made sense and it was it was very good 
Yeah, I'm right on board with you. I I thought that this was great, and this was this was such a great way to end a great episode. So, um, I mean, obviously, it's not even that it's just like some cheesy little device or something. It's like an entire underground James Bond laboratory. And it's not even as if they could say anything. It's like, oh, yeah, like you, you got us. We were definitely we were definitely doing it. And just kind of to finish that thought on to Paul, you can tell just in the way that she reacts to uh them all standing there and looking at it it's she's almost embarrassed or like it's i don't know like there's a lot of there's a lot of layers to the the, the way the, what she looks like but you can just tell that she's like embarrassed and i would say exasperation like sort of like she couldn't believe what she was seeing that's how i would sort of put it and so kind of going back to the very beginning when we talked about like to and she didn't really want to take them down there because, you know, they were going to embarrass her and, you know, they were probably not going to follow the protocols and, you know, really they... Archer and trip. I don't believe <laughs> yeah, it. Exactly. So she does get kind of an interesting little arc here because, you know, I don't necessarily think that she agrees with the way they go about it. Um, she even says as much. Uh, I think that, you know, she would have done it a different way if she was the person who was in charge or in command. But then at the end to see that, you know, the Vulcans were really lying all along and that, you know, even though Archer got his face punched in, he definitely kind of solved the mystery and, and, and came to a resolution. I think that there is a little there's something there, or at least I, maybe I'm I'm seeing it or I'm, I'm kind of seeing that this is kind of the softening of T'Pol. This is kind of one of those things where, you know, she becomes a part of the crew and becomes so loyal to Archer because of things like this, because of episodes like this. At least that's how I took it. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad take on it. I think that, yeah, this is probably sort of step one. I don't want to say disillusionment, but where T'Pol is thinking like, okay, maybe my people aren't so great after all, and maybe I need to not blindly trust and follow what they're telling me, because they they may be lying, even though Vulcans aren't supposed to lie. Now, one other thing I was going to sort of throw out there. So there's that one Vulcan dude who I think knew that the spy station was there. He's like tried to stop them from going down there, but they just were like, no, screw you. We're going down anyway. Do you think that he was like a Vulcan, like the equivalent of the Vulcan like CIA? Because he was obviously in on it. Yeah, he was obviously in on it. I kind of got the, I was under the assumption that it was either one of two things. Number one, that it actually was a working monastery and maybe there was only like one or two of the the monks that actually knew that there was the underground uh, secret station or they were all just saying they were going there to do these like religious things, but they were actually just like basically taking shifts working in the station. It's never really explicitly said. Um, but I was almost thinking that the person who was like really dedicated to it, the one who pulls the phaser at the very end, I feel like maybe he had, he was maybe like a higher up or he was, he, he was just maybe more dedicated to the cause, but I don't think that he would be like CIA or anything like that because he pulls the phaser and then Archer literally just turns around and punches him once and he's like out. So I don't know that we could say that he was like in law enforcement or tactically trained or anything. 
Yeah, I tend to agree. Like, I was going to say, like, if he was, like, part of, like, whatever, the Vulcan intelligence, like, he must be the worst intelligence (laughs) officer that there ever has been. Because, yeah, like you say, even at first when he, when they sort of were chasing the Andorians down there, he, like, grabs one of their phasers and he's, like, he's going to go defend the monastery but he is like the worst shot uh i've ever seen yeah so yeah like if like it was kind of odd that he he obviously knew so i don't know maybe they were just like sent like the the actual intelligence people like sort of planted him in here and was like okay your job is to keep the other Vulcans out of the place where the spy station is. Yeah. And like the people working there would need to be traded in and out every once in a while. So I guess like they'd have to have somebody on the inside that knew about it. Right. Yeah. I I sort of feel like it was a legit monastery. It's just like that one dude was sort of tasked with, you know, not letting the jig get up. Yeah. The main guy also seemed a little suspicious to me. Uh, although you could also say that maybe he just really didn't want people down in the in the relic room. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of a shame we didn't get to see the Vulcan's reaction to being found out. And I mean, I guess they wouldn't really be able to do much more than like stick their hands in their pockets and do the, the Dennis the Menace, like, oh, you got me. Uh, but we are kind of seeing the response only through to Paul. Because we actually, that guy gets knocked out. None of the other people come down. And like the people working at the stations are just like still working. Like they don't even notice that there's all these Andorians and humans in the doorway. There's like, oh, well, I got to get my research done. Uh, so yeah, we don't really get to see it. And, it. and the episode ends before we're kind of left with much else. But I actually didn't mind it. It would have been nice. But sometimes those are the kinds of things that are best left unsaid. Because if you get too explanatory, then it, it ruins it. Yeah, and then sort of the last bit, um, you know, they take some scans of the station and Archer, like, gives it to Shran and sends him on his way. Did you like that sort of Archer, I guess, sort of did, like, the moral thing in that instance, which is, yeah, you know what, you were right, these guys are spying on you, and you and your people deserve to know. Yeah, well, I mean, I, we all know that Archer is kind of the, the one of the forefathers of the Federation, and so this is kind of showing that leadership uh, piece right here. But from Archer's perspective, I think that he was kind of thinking, well, you know what, if I don't act as a bridge here, these Andorian guys might just start shooting people. Uh, in in the spy station and just take it by force. And so by kind of putting that olive branch out there and then T'Pol phones up and says like, yep, the Andorians will be leaving. It's a nice resolution, but also like I was mentioning kind of at the top of the episode, um, I feel like this is the, uh, the very early groundworks for what we would eventually see or what they originally planned, I guess, for the kind of main factions of... Uh, Starfleet and the Federation and everything coming together. So I actually really thought that it, it worked well. Yeah, and I mean, it fits with his character, right? Because he's, for for what, for all those sort of like off-the-cuff stuff that he does, he does have a pretty strong moral compass, I would say. And so for him to, and I think you're right, he was also probably thinking of like, okay, if I don't like cool this situation down, like something's bad is going to happen. And he figured, you know, if I give the Andorians the scans of this place and all the evidence they need to, you know, support their correct assumption that the Vulcans were spying on them, that'll be enough to, you know, kind of send them away and and kind of cool things down a bit. So I thought it was very, I thought it was, it made sense to to have that as sort of the ending. And even ends with a great line. Thanks for the tour. (laughs) 
As we like to do, let's just uh, have a quick uh, talk about the cast and characters. Now, we uh, we get our first appearance of Shran, and uh, he is played by our good friend, Jeffrey Coombs, who uh, is a man of many different makeup configurations. Um, I guess what I would say is, like, just how great of an actor is Jeffrey Coombs? Because, I mean, we're, we know him probably best as Wei-Yoon, who is this very calm diplomatic uh you know soothing kind of individual and we get basically the exact opposite in this episode like how great is jeffrey coombs yeah well i mean i feel like we could probably just do an hour on how great he is i would say that uh it's a shame that they haven't been able to get him on to discovery or picard or lower decks yet i hope that he does show up because i feel like I mean, obviously, I don't think Shran is anybody's favorite Jeffrey Coombs character, but it is impressive that, you know, I feel like Wei-Yoon and uh, is it Brunt uh, that he played uh, in like Deep Space Nine? Those those characters are all so different. Um, you know, some are likable, some are hateable. Um, I think that Shran is kind of the perfect like middle Right. Like Wayun was very lovable. Brunt was hateable. This is kind of like the exact middle. Like this is the, you know, the mama bear porridge for me anyway, in the sense that it, it's kind of like he can be super annoying, especially when he is adversarial to all the Enterprise guys. But then when there have been situations where they've had to kind of team up with them or they had to work together, then he's like, you love them. You know what I mean? So, yeah, this is a great little introduction to a character that we're going to basically see throughout the entire series. And I don't think that he's in a lot of episodes, but he's definitely somebody who chews scenery when he's there. Yeah, like as far as Coombs acting, like it's pretty incredible. I mean, he pulls off this angry, suspicious, aggressive and Dorian very well. Like he's very convincing. Uh, yeah, he's just an incredible. Like it, it shows just how great an actor he is. Um, when you compare it to Wayun, even that. Uh, remember in uh, what was the episode? I think it was the episode with the Rock, where he was sort of the guy in charge of that whole yes. like fighting thing. He was sort of very Wayunish in that episode as well. Um, and then you get this. You get Shran and he's like the complete opposite. And I think he does it very convincingly. Um, I, I certainly was... Shran, Shran was a character that I really did like. I think it's because he go, he's very raw and very aggressive in the beginning. And he does sort of soften up a little bit towards Archer and humans as the, ep- the series goes on. Yes. And they were actually going to make him a series regular had there been a season five. They were going to like sort of do some writing gymnastics to get him on the bridge of, of the enterprise, which is gotta be one of the all time missed opportunities. Uh, I've read that as well, that they were actually going to put him on the main cast and that he would be like a, a series regular. Oh, would I have loved to see that? I mean, season five of enterprise is up there for me with the, the all-time wish list, you know? Uh, you know, some people maybe wanted to see more original series. Some people wanted to see season eight of Next Generation. You know, some people wanted to see a Deep Space Nine movie. Like, there are so many wish list never gots. Um, season five for Enterprise is up there for me, man. And and this would be a big piece of it for sure. The fact that Shran would come in as a regular character and we would see that kind of uh, budding relationship. It's it's really unfortunate we didn't get it. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah, it would have been a lot of fun to see what they could would have done with him on a weekly basis. Uh, let's move on. I just want to quickly mention, uh, you know, Tran had those two sort of henchmen, the one guy Tholos, and there was another one named Keval. They didn't play a huge role, but I, th- I thought they were pretty good as sort of like, you know, the, the right and left hand Andorians. Like, I thought they were also pretty pretty aggressive, pretty suspicious, and, and sort of like, well, quite a bit like like Tran was. Yeah, they were kind of rough and tumble. I thought that they were they did a perfect job of of, uh, of henchmen. Uh, and I guess I mean I don't have much to say about them, so I'm just going to kind of use this opportunity to say that the makeup and the antenna and and everything, the costuming for the Andorians in this episode, the white hair, which is just hilarious. Um, th- this is as good as it ever was. I think the original series guys look okay. I think the Discovery ones look horrible. This is perfect. Uh, I love the look. I love the makeup. I love that the antennae wiggle a little bit. Um, Yeah, this was great, man. I love this. The Vulcans, I I, I sort of lumped together the Vulcan Elder and the Vulcan Initiate. And you might recognize the voice of the Vulcan Elder. He played um, the same actor, Bruce French. He played... um, Remember in Caretaker when Harry Kim and Torres wake up in the Caretaker sort of hospital, sort of the, he played like the the sort of tall male Ocompan doctor. Okay, cool. He has kind of this distinctive voice, and I I think it's very, uh, very easy to recognize. At least that's how I put those two together. But um, I don't know, the Vulcan Elder and the Initiate, did you have anything to say about those two? I think that they, 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 they played the perfect balance of do they know something do are they really that you know worried about these relics or is there something more to it the foreshadowing and the acting never really gave anything away uh and we didn't really get to see their response to being had or being found so um we were just kind of left uh with all the lead up which I, i think actually worked really well in this particular episode so um yeah a plus for those guys as well yeah i thought that the initiate was he was convincing in the beginning of being like actually one of the monks. Yes. Like I didn't, I didn't really get suspicious of him until he picked up the phaser and he looked really awkward with it. I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Maybe that guy's sort of on. To, there's something odd going on with that guy. So I, th- I thought that that was pretty well done. And yeah, I have I thought the Vulcan elder guy, he was pretty convincing as this sort of, you know, dedicated quasi religious, uh, you know, Vulcan who'd, probably been in that monastery for a long time yeah i think anybody who plays a vulcan is that's not an easy thing because actors are so trained and so good at emoting and facial expressions and body languages so to play a character where they take all that away uh it's quite impressive and i I mean i'm not an actor by any stretch and i have never done any acting but i can appreciate that that would be a difficult thing to do absolutely and uh, likewise i've not even given any thought to doing any acting let alone actually done it so yeah i can i, I imagine that being a, acting as a vulcan is a is a rather difficult thing for uh for an actor to do and uh i thought both were, were pretty good as far as you know not really giving away a lot of emotion in this episode so that's that's good for uh good for both of them uh now on to production notes and much like the background info there is a ton of stuff out there that you can find quite easily on the internet i picked out a few interesting things that we can uh, quickly uh, talk about here. Now, you mentioned the uh, the Andorian makeup in this uh, episode. is sort of, It's the first time we see the uh, sort of Enterprise era makeup, and I also thought it was really good. 
Um, and this is the first episode to feature the Andorians since the uh, well, since the animated series, uh, with the exception of that one instance we mentioned on the holodeck in Next Generation. But this is the first time we actually see living, breathing Andorians. Yeah, for somebody who are, you know, founders of the Federation, they don't really show up that much. Same with the Tellarites. Uh, I think that, you know, Discovery has tried to, to reintroduce them because uh, we've gotten them in multiple ser- seasons of Discovery. But, yeah, they were always kind of one of those species that was talked about, never really seen. So I think this is a great a great spot to bring them in, really. Yeah, you mentioned the antennae. I'm going to go a little bit out of order here, but... um. I noticed that uh, the Andorian antennae actually were like operated by puppeteers. And I imagine that there was some sort of like remote control because I don't imagine you could fit a puppeteer like in, you know, in trans like uniform. (laughs) Yeah, I uh, it's such a little thing because it's not really like they do like a lot of erratic movements. It's just kind of like little things. But it was just enough that you noticed it, which I thought was perfect. Yeah, I always thought that maybe they were sort of pre-programmed and just like sort of moved randomly. But that's pretty cool that they actually had puppeteers that you must had some kind of remote control, like a, you know, like a remote control car or something (laughs) operating them around. I know that sometimes there are certain situations like if if they're really surprised, they'll sort of like move in a certain way. But I think in this episode, we didn't really see a lot of that. But it, it was pretty cool that they actually had someone operating them. Uh, some of the stuff was reused uh, in this episode. There was a couple of pieces of artwork in the monastery. Um, one was this sort of like these fabric, these sort of rectangular fabric things that were hanging on the wall with these uh, sort of abstract geometric shapes. Uh, those were taken from uh, the Next Generation episode, Devil's Do. Don't remember that episode, so hopefully I don't pick that one. <laughs> <laughs> And then there was a, a, a sort of a Vulcan tapestry that was on the wall, and it was reused in a later Enterprise episode called Stigma. Uh, that's the one where Phlox goes to a medical conference, I think. And and T'Pol has that weird disease. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah, that sounds right to me anyway. <laughs> okay. Hopefully we don't pick that one either. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, and then the the big wooden door uh, to the that the Andorians bashed in that was taken from uh, Broken Bow, which was the Enterprise pilot, and in that episode it was the uh, the door to the Klingon High Council chamber. So uh, lots of stuff getting uh, getting getting their money's worth out of. I uh, I actually had I looked it up because I felt like this looked very similar to remember when T'Pol goes to visit her mother. And the mother lives on Vulcan. I thought, oh, that's that's the same set. But I went and looked, and it actually is completely different. Uh, and one thing I did appreciate was the beautiful matte paintings. That's such a TNG original series uh, thing to do, um, which I really appreciated. But then I actually, uh, you were mentioning that um, it was a digital matte painting. So, like, I guess that was how they had the ship leaving at the end, like when the credits were rolling, because it wasn't actually, it wasn't actually Matt Payton. It was computer generated. Yeah. That sort of wide shot showing the, the monastery pajam on the planet. Yeah. It was, it was a digital, it was a computer generated matte painting. Your favorite uh, thing of TV production was uh, already in the 21st century back then. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> All right. Uh, any memorable scenes or quotes that uh, you'd like to, point out 
I mean, there are so many little one-liners, like little zingers here. It's hard to pick. I mentioned a couple of my favorite. Don't get your antennas in a twist. I'm all ears. No offense. I think my favorite is Archer right at the end. Thanks for the tour. That's like so James Bondian, right? To to kind of to to leave on the high note after you've you know you've sleuthed out everything. I I think that's what I'm going to take. But I mean, there are a lot of memorable scenes here. The punching. Uh, after the meditation thing is great. Even just the teaser as a whole is great. But I think for my favorite line, I'm going to use thanks for the tour. Um, for me, I think the really the part where the, Vulc- the Andorians bash the door in and these you can see them, sort of their face and the antennae. To me, that's probably the most memorable scene. And as far as lines, unfortunately, I've, you already mentioned mine, but I'm going to go with uh, don't get your antennae in a twist. That's a pretty trip thing to say, I think, in that situation. He's not one to sh- he's not one to shy away from the, a good quip, even at the worst of times. Indeed. Uh, give me your final thoughts and uh, give me a rating out of five Vulcan statues. Uh, I mean, I think you know, like I said, you wanted an all-time classic Star Trek episode. That's what you called. You called your shot, and um, I mean, for a big Star Trek fan, I, I would put this right there. Um, this has to be one of the best Enterprise episodes. I was actually really surprised to see that it was the seventh episode because I didn't really remember the first season ever having that many good episodes or getting this good this fast. Um, this is just great. The The story is great. The line is great. The the action is is serviceable um i think that the the twists and the the layers and and jeffrey coombs showing up it's just this is such a good episode i i have already kind of gushed for an hour so i don't want to go too deep into it for me this is a five out of five vulcan statues i i really wish that enterprise had given us more stuff like this because this is just perfection um, and anybody who kind of craps on Enterprise and says that they never did any good episodes needs to go back and watch like an episode like this because this is really, really good. You mentioned like, uh, you know, where's this rank? I think if I'm going to do a top 10 Enterprise list, I think this episode is probably in it and probably pretty close to the top of it. And yeah, this is pretty shocking that it's this early in the series that they're able to put out an episode that was really this good. I mean, there's really not much to to not like about it. Other than that sort of weird comment from that Andorian to to Paul, like I can't really think about anything about this episode that I did not like. I mean, I'm looking through my notes and everything's good. There's like, you know, lots of nice little subtle direction things that really jump out at you. The story's good. The twists are good. The mystery is good. Um, There's really nothing bad I can say about this episode. And uh, I'm also going to give it five Vulcan statues out of five. Like, it's just such a great... Uh, one thing I would say, like, if, if I'm sitting around and I've got, you know, one hour to kill and I'm like, I'm going to throw in an Enterprise episode, like, this episode is one that I'm going to strongly consider every time. Like, it's just, it, there's really nothing bad about it, I don't think. I think I hear the red alert siren, which means we're uh, drawing close to the end of the podcast and we're going to draw a brand new episode from the Vulcan ceremonial cap of uh, episodes. And Andrew's going to have one minute to tell me everything he can about that episode. Uh, Andrew, do you got any uh, hopes or predictions for uh, what you're going to get this time? You know what? I am thinking I'm going to get something animated. Don't know why. It's just a feeling. Okay. Let's uh, 
dig deep here and see what I can come up with. So, um, unfortunately... It's live action. We are uh, going to remain in the live action realm. We, in fact, are going to be remaining on the NX-01. We have drawn a, another Enterprise episode. Okay. It is from Season 2. It is Episode 6, and the title is Marauders. Marauders. I'll just uh, let Andrew have a moment here to uh, gather his thoughts, see what he can remember about the episode called Marauders. Uh, another Enterprise episode. Now, I did mention a few podcasts ago that we have drawn a disproportionately low number of Enterprise episodes, so I guess things are evening out, uh, as you would expect them to statistically. Uh, and uh, you can also uh, check us out on Hollow Sweet Media. There's several other podcasts there that might tickle your interest. And you can also follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're all over the internet. Andrew is... Uh, furiously writing looks like he's uh got something well i got something but uh, <laughs> i'm just a little bit weary because of a couple of things but you'll see why all right andrew it looks like you're all ready you, you're good to go here i'm as ready as i am gonna be all right your time begins now well a marauder is like a pirate Right, so I am assuming that this is an episode where the Enterprise encounters a series of kind of pirates that are attacking and stealing from the Enterprise. Uh, obviously, Reed is going to be heavily featured in this one because he's going to want to, you know, put into place all of his tactics and everything. I also think this might be an episode where they recognize that they might not have the firepower to deal with a lot of the stuff that they are going to experience out on their travels. They may also decide that they should go back to Earth to re-equip and then eventually decide that they should just upgrade the Enterprise themselves with some phaser banks and, and better weapons in general. Um, they may lose some things but uh, and try to, they may have trouble catching up to the Marauders because of the speed of the Enterprise NX-01 being a five-warp ship, but they eventually will get their stuff back and they'll kind of leave off learned a little bit more than they had before and your time is up um i think you got some of the parts right this may be the episode with the ferengi where the ferengi like pillaged the ship e that could be it yeah i have a hard time because i feel like they did this a lot in enterprise right where they are outgunned, outmuscled, and they are, are, are trying to, to kind of to figure things out. Um, and so it, it's kind of hard to say. It's hard to say which one it is, but I, I'm hoping I got something right um, here because uh, I've had a couple of switcheroos of late, and I'd like to kind of get the, uh, the good ship back going. Yeah, well, we'll be uh, remaining on the NX-01 for at least one more podcast. So, yeah, that's... Uh... Always fun. We haven't done a lot of Enterprise, so I guess we're uh, sort of catching up, playing a little catch-up here. Indeed. All right, well, we will see you in two weeks' time when we watch the Enterprise episode, Marauders. All right, thanks a lot for joining us. And yeah, like, like Andrew said, we'll be back in uh, two weeks' time to review Marauders here on RTR. <laughs> This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Hollow Sweet Media programs. Loading Hollow Sweet Preview Program 4, her first Trek, a Star Trek review podcast. I really enjoyed the parts on the planet when 
you know, after it had been like destroyed, like yeah. when everyone had died on there, because oh, I yeah. just thought like the set and the lighting and the way they were sort of moving through the destroyed buildings and stuff. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was really cool. It looked cool and it was spooky. And I think I've thought this since I was a child watching this. I think it did feel like they were in a place where people had just been, like, mm. eviscerated. It had feelings of Pompeii. I was just going to say Pompeii. Hmm. Yeah. Or, like, a concentration camp. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Just that feeling of, like, there is just loads of death around you. You mm. can't even see all of it. But horrible, mm. horrible things have happened there. Loading Holosuite Preview Programme 4, Star Podlog, the classic science fiction and fantasy podcast. Well, and, and it's amazing read, reading that description of the movie, because if I was going to write a description of Star Wars, that's not exactly what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, but yeah, yeah, it's neat to go back and read these and you're going, wow, that's just, you know, they, they don't really make it sound as exciting there, but they still, I mean, they make it look like, yeah, you want to see it, but, but not for, for those reasons exactly. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Starbase 1, the Star Trek Online podcast. I don't really think that's a good idea. I order you to do it right now. Warning, the structural integrity field has collapsed. This is Admiral Quinn. You will be assigned to Starbase 1. Welcome to Starbase 1. I'm Colin. I'm Admiral Aaron. I'm Dave. I'm Steve. And I'm Tom. Starbase One is a dedicated Star Trek Online podcast. If you're a first-time listener, hello. If you're a dedicated decade listener and you've been wondering where the hell we are, we're back. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.